This is back to back. Yo, what's up, back to backers? This is Willie Joy. Welcome to the show. This is back to back. This is my podcast. How you guys doing? How you feeling? You guys have the flu? I feel like everybody's got the flu right now. I don't because I'm a good boy and I got my flu shot, but that didn't stop me from getting a pretty bad cold. You can probably hear I'm still a little stuffed up, but it's all good. I'm getting better. For all you guys who are under the weather, I hope you get better soon. And if you are feeling like you need a little pick-me-up, you've come to the right place. My guest on the show today is Bro Safari. Love this dude. He just finished up a nationwide tour at the end of 2017. And his new remix that he did with Etc. Etc. for A Different Way by DJ Snake just came out. It's a crazy remix. And as always, I'm going to put links to where you can go check out all of his music, dates, all the good shit in the description of this show. But before we get into that conversation, let's read an email real quick. Haven't done that in a while. Today's email comes from Chris. He says, hey, Willie, big fan of the podcast. I'm an amateur music producer, and I'm starting to feel confident with my music. I want to start emailing blogs, YouTube channels, small labels, etc. In your opinion, what are some do's and don'ts in building a network? Well, this is a question that, you know, we could devote an entire podcast episode to this alone. But I think to keep it short, the number one thing I would suggest to anyone in this position is make sure that your music is top quality before you send it to anyone outside of your circle. People do tend to stick with their first impressions. You know, that's not a great quality of humanity, but it is the truth. It is what we deal with as artists. So if you come out of the gates with some next level material, something crazy that people haven't heard before, something really, really high quality, that's going to be people's perception of you going forward. So everything you do after that will be looked at in that favorable light. If you take a look at your music and realize that with another month or another three months of work, you could make something much better than what you've got now, take that time. Be patient. The fact that you're unknown right now can actually be an asset if you take your time to craft your introduction to the world in the right way. So that being said, what you're really asking about is the best way to approach people when you do want to send them your music. Basically, I would say take the time to find the right emails for the demo submissions at labels, the promo submissions at blogs or YouTube channels, whoever you want to find. And when you do send it, you just got to understand the reality is these addresses get so many submissions on a daily basis. People cannot go through them all. If you don't hear back, don't take it as an insult or a slight. And really, it's it's up to you to kind of build your own following. The way a lot of these labels, a lot of these blogs start noticing people is when they're making noise online in other ways, you know, getting a big following, 
getting talked about by other artists, that sort of thing. If you can figure out a way to meet the people that you're really interested in working with, if you can physically give them, you know, a USB or something like that with your music on it, that gives you a lot better shot of having your music really heard. The personal connection really is everything. And when you meet people, whether you're sending an email or you're meeting them in person, don't be annoying. Be really nice. Keep it very short. Keep it brief. Just say your piece. Introduce yourself. Hand off whatever you want to hand off. And that's it. You know, if you haven't heard anything back, just keep working. Keep pushing. Your own ambition and your own drive are really what's going to carry you through all of this. So good luck. Get out there. And most important of all, do not be a punisher. If you have a question for me, a comment, you want to send me some music, you want to let me know who else you want to hear on this show, anything, you can always email me at backtobackpod at gmail.com or you can hit me up on all social media at backtobackpod or at willyjoy. And also don't forget to subscribe to this show on whatever platform you're using to listen. And you know, if you got an extra minute, leave us a rating and a review that really does help the show grow. All right, so for this conversation with Bro Safari, I met up with him at his hotel in LA. It was really nice, man. We were really, really high up with this sort of panoramic view of the city. And I've been wanting to sit down with Nick and do this for a long time. I love talking to him because he's been in the game for a long time. He's had a bunch of different phases to his career. And all of his successes really feel like his own. He's done it his way. He has a very DIY attitude about everything that he does not ever looking for handouts or even really to try to emulate what other people are doing. I think every time you hear a Bro Safari song, you know that you're going to get the pure expression of a real artist. And that's something I've always really appreciated about him. We talk a lot about those punk, those DIY roots. You know, he got started as a drum and bass producer and went through a few different evolutions before coming to the bro safari that we know now. And I just think he has a lot of valuable insight for really anyone working in the music industry in 2018. I'm going to let you guys stop listening to my stuffed up voice. Let's get into it right now. This is me and bro safari back to back. Let's go. Are we rolling? Yeah, we're rolling, baby. Okay. We're out here in Los Angeles. This is probably the most picturesque view I think yeah. I've ever had when I'm recording one I've, of these. Before you came over, I was thinking the same thing. It's, it's nice. Really it's a nice, nice backdrop. Yeah, I love it. Uh, and you used to live here, right? In I LA? did. I was here, I think, probably about five years, mid-2000s. Okay. Yeah. Do you miss it? I, I miss certain aspects of living here, sure. I don't miss how expensive it is. And yeah. I, the main thing that got to me when I was living here was the, the social pressure. Uh, I'm a bit of a homebody. Yeah. There's, there's con- there was a constant pressure to go out, do this, do that. It's Monday night. You got to go out and do this. Right. Tuesday night. Oh, now you got to go do this. It's Wednesday night. And yeah. It just became tiresome. Yeah. I fall into that too. I, I'm the same way personality wise. And what I hate is then it's almost like a disease you get infected with where then if you don't go out, you start getting anxious about it and yeah. you start feeling bad about it and for no particular reason. 
Sure. I was talking to somebody else, I forget who on this show about, oh, it was a Wax Motif who was saying that, you know, he fell into that for like a year when he first moved here where you really, you think you're killing it and you think you're doing really well, but in reality, all you're doing is kind of going out to a club yeah. and partying. You don't have much to show for it. Yeah. That kind of squad mentality. You know, some people thrive out here in this, this type of condition, but I think for me, I had my phone out here and I was, I was okay with leaving. Yeah, that's fair. You did your time. Where were you born, man? Where'd you grow up? I was born in Rome, Italy, actually. But really? Yeah, my, my parents were living there. And my whole family was there for quite some time. But I, I think when I was two months old, they packed up and moved to America. And uh, I grew up in Atlanta. Okay. So did you know any of the other Atlanta guys like when you were younger, you know, that are in the DJ scene now, Mayhem or any of those guys? Well, uh, growing up, I didn't know Mayhem. Yeah. Atlanta's a big he's, city. He's a bit younger than I am. And when I started DJing, though, I was actually living in Alabama. Mm. And so I was making road trips every week to Atlanta to buy records. And that's where I met Mayhem. Okay. So I have known him since he was, I think, 15 or 16. Wow. So what was Atlanta like at that time growing up? You know, what was your, your exposure to music? Was it a big part of your life as yeah. a kid? Yeah, music was everything. My, my first real exposure to music outside of what you'd see on TV or hear on the radio is through my sister. She was heavily into punk rock. So when I was really young, I was exposed to bands like Dead Kennedys, Fugazi, yeah. The Dead Milkmen, Black Flag. Um, so that was the first type of music I ever really heard or listened to. What age was that approximately? I was in, I was in about third or fourth grade. Yeah. I was really young and too young to be listening to some of that stuff. <laughs> right. But then shortly after that, I started listening to Two Life Crew. So it was kind of this weird juxtaposition. Yeah, of, yeah. <laughs> of, and of one styles. could argue you were too young for that too. <laughs> Absolutely too young for that. <laughs> so how did that, did you start playing instruments? Did you want to emulate it? Yeah. Uh, so around the same time, about fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade, they had a music class at school and I started the uh, viola. Mm. I started playing the viola and I, it just sparked the interest, I think. And yeah. I quickly asked my parents for a guitar. I think about six months later, I got a guitar and I, from that moment on, I was, it's just I was involved music. in, yeah, it's just the only thing that I, I, I got with no effort, you know, sure. I, it didn't, I didn't have to think about things. You just, it just come, come, came naturally and I embraced it from a, Did a really early age. Did you find you had, uh, you know, aptitude for it pretty early on too? Yeah. Yeah. I was playing by ear mostly. I didn't take lessons. Um, I took, I think maybe four or five guitar lessons in my life, but that was about three or four years into mm. learning by myself and teaching myself. So I was, at that point I just wanted, wanted to learn how to solo and play Metallica songs and stuff right. that I just couldn't quite do on my own. And playing in bands and all that, I assume. Yeah. Uh, middle school was when I, I think I was in my first band a punk band. I, we were, I, don't, I don't remember the name. I'm sure it's just some terrible name. But then they I started a band called The Geeks. Uh, oh, that's a good is name, a, a three-piece punk band. And I'm still friends with the guys I did that with as well. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I eventually got a, a drum kit as well. I think that was closer to high school. So, I mean, I played, I played drums in a punk band. I played guitar in a punk ska band. I, I did all sorts of stuff back then, yeah. Yeah, and how did you find out about electronic yeah. music? Do you remember? College. That? And where was that, Alabama? Alabama, okay. correct. I decided that I would go with some friends to a party in Birmingham, Alabama, and I knew nothing of rave culture or anything aside from just you know stuff I'd pick up on from friends. 
went um it was honestly just an excuse to go party yeah. for me at the time i was you know, freshman in, in college anyhow uh i wound up listening to dj diesel boy do a, a drum and bass set and it changed my life right there on the spot mm. you know it, it just it had the intensity of punk rock and that's what i had been listening to and it had the, the tempo everything just kind of aligned perfectly and it was something new fresh i didn't have anybody to play with in yeah. terms of uh, playing in a band yeah. in Alabama so it just it clicked right away those moments are special man you know the the first time you hear something that's really new that you've literally never heard before and it has that kind of effect yeah. I feel you know I have a few of those moments for for metal I was a metalhead kid growing up and for uh, dance music too I definitely have a couple like just embedded in my yeah. brain memories like that yep. and that that feeling you know that's I think that's personally what I Dude. get addicted to, you know. Yeah, and that's like what we're always chasing is to. It, the thing is, is you can't ever identify those moments when they're happening, right? Obviously, or else it wouldn't be a special, you know. But now, looking back twenty years later, and I, I can remember when I saw DJ Dara drop "Whiplash" by Future Cut at Nike Pavilion in Atlanta in nineteen ninety nine or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? I I remember that moment so clearly, and now I can see how much of an impact it had on me. But at the time, I couldn't couldn't tell yeah you know? yeah and it's chasing that feeling is tough because you know you can't just sort of make the the sound that gave you that feeling before yeah. you have to it's a it's a it's it's deeper than that it's a set of of circumstances yeah you know where you are in your life and what you're susceptible to what you're open to hearing um i think and also i, th I think a lot of it has to do with youth you know being younger yeah i think some of the best things in music in general stem from the youth not from older guys that have been doing it for a long time absolutely man. so you know there's just some magic there uh, but you know as we get older in the music industry and we're still doing what we love you know how do we fit into that ecosystem if we're not the young guys anymore well i think for me personally i have to look to the youth constantly yeah. i'm always uh browsing through twitter trying to find you know, people who don't have many followers who are really talented producers um SoundCloud, things like that. And I'm trying to find these and, and see what's going on in the scene and find things to to identify with and say, you know, I don't fully understand what these guys are doing right here, but I like it. I like the, it, it remove even the music from yeah. it in a sense. You know, I, I just like the movement. I like the attitude. I like that they don't give a shit what I'm, can we cuss on here? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't yeah. like that they care about what we think, the older guys. Right. I don't, you know, they're just doing their own thing and they're creating an environment for themselves and you know that is, is super inspiring to me so yeah i agree and i think you in particular you've always collaborated and sort of put on a lot of younger artists like that's something i've noticed just watching yeah. your career which i always thought was cool because i think some artists when they reach a certain level just won't sure. go below that level you know yeah i mean for me it's always it should always be about the music right yeah you know, so whoever, if I'm working on a song with someone, I don't care if they're, you know, established, if they're not established, I, I will link with them because I like their vision. Yeah. You know? And I'm, it keeps you young too, right? I Absolutely. Mean, yeah. It really does, man. Yeah. It's a funny, this whole game is funny because I, in some ways I think it ages you really fast, but then mentally I think I feel much yeah. younger. I, uh, I've yeah. said the same, I've said something similar before. At a certain point, you have to figure out how to take care of yourself physically. But if you can get that down, which isn't easy, but if you can do it, I think mentally you'll see the benefits from kind of sticking yeah. around. You know, so you're out in Alabama hearing this music for the first time and kind of having your mind blown. Was it an instant thing that you said, I want to be involved with this? Yeah. 
instant. Um, I I think even the next day, really, I was trying to plot on how I was going to make some money so I could buy a drum machine. Because <laughs> at the time, I thought that's what you know, electronic music. I need a drum machine. Right. Yeah. Of course. And plus, I mean, back at that point, the you know computers were being used, obviously, but. It wasn't, it, you couldn't go buy a MacBook Pro in Ableton. Right. It was, we were using Cubase on an old PC that took, you know, 30 minutes to reverse a 10 second symbol <laughs> hit. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was, it was a bit more difficult. But anyhow, yeah, it was instant. And I, I went, I got a drum, drum machine. I learned the basics of it. And then I linked with uh, a guy named Gigantor. Mm-hmm. He he and I were just glued at the hip at that was point. Was he at your school? How'd you meet him? Yeah, he was in Alabama, and he was already DJing and he was already producing. He had been a, a rock and roll mix engineer for bands. He was very experienced and a great musician and yeah. a great guy. So he 100% showed me the ropes of how to produce on a computer. Uh, right now, people who are listening, you could look him up as Computer Club, right, or Gigantor. You know, both. He we we had a project called Evil Intent. I was still gonna do. Say, yeah. Me and him and AJ Treasure Fingers. Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to get into that. I mean, sure. How how long from when you first met Gigantor and started kind of being under his wing or learning sure. from him? How long before you guys really, you know, started doing something professionally, making money or making records well, or whatever it was? Well, I was going to say we. I thought you were going to ask when we started making tunes. And well, I was about yeah, to say let's that start night, there. Yeah, I mean, that, that night, literally, I, I think we started our first song, and it was called Take That. And that wound up being our first release on Evil Intent Recordings. Mm. So we put everything together quickly. You know, he held my hand through the process, yeah. and we did a couple songs as Nick and Gigantor and released them on Evil Intent Recordings. And then we met AJ, a.k.a. Treasure Fingers. Right. He was living in Oklahoma at the time, making really cool drum and bass. And we said, can we release that? Next thing you know, we put out one of his tunes, and then we said, "Why don't we all just move to Atlanta together? Start Evil Intent." Yeah, it, you know that's a little bit sloppy on the timeline, a little bit, but that's that's the gist of it. Sure, yeah. Well, and it's interesting to me, you know, talk a little bit about the the difference just in the electronic music scene in America at that time, because I think you know, for a kid who just starts now, the first thought wouldn't be to immediately make your own label and you know sign yeah, people and that sure. kind of stuff and so talk a little bit about how the landscape was different i think for us it, it was we had all had we had something in similar and that was our punk music background mm. so we were well versed in diy ethics and you know how to operate on your own do it yourself a label so i think we didn't put too much thought behind the label process we just said let's start a record label there weren't many uh, drum and bass labels in America, period. Right, so there weren't a lot of outlets it, None, just for yeah. what you were doing. I mean, you know, the, the major cities, San Francisco had Funkatech, LA had a scene, New York had a scene, but, you know, for us, there wasn't much going on. There weren't many well-known drum and bass producers. Right. Um, now, EDM, or I guess it wasn't called EDM then, but electronic music as a whole at the time was was doing well. Nowhere near as popular as it is now, but right. there's still you know good parties going yeah, on. Yeah, and I mean then. in the late '90s, I think that was sort of a smaller explosion, you know, a little micro explosion versus yeah. the one we had now. Because back then there was you know the Prodigy and the Chemical Brothers, and for a minute MTV was playing. They played you know, Ronnie Size. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. kind of stuff. For the those of us who lived through that little bubble, it's been really interesting to it's see. It's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, it's nothing at all like it used to be. But that's not a bad. Thing. No, you know, no, I'm not one of those guys that says that's going to say, oh, it was 
you know, it was better when I was a kid. <laughs> this is just not true, you know? Well, I mean, if the if it hadn't blown up like it did, I mean, would we even have these careers? Would no. we even be able to sit here? No. And, uh... and I mean, anything, you know, I'm a fan of evolution. Anything that's evolving, like let it evolve how it needs to evolve and don't try to stifle its yeah. growth. And that goes for an artist, a scene, an industry, whatever. Yeah. Know? When, what was going on in your life at that time? I mean, w- at that point, did you think music was going to be a career? Were you still concentrating on school and doing it as a side thing? You know, sort of what point were you at when you were starting the label? I had no cares in the world, and I definitely didn't care about school at the time. I mean, I I was 100% just devoted to following music and yeah. seeing, and, and I had no plan. <laughs> I, I'm kind of tripping myself up because I'm thinking about putting putting myself in, the, in my own shoes at that time and how careless I was about it. But that's what that's what I needed to do at the time. Right. I, I had to devote myself to learning the craft 24/7, just like I had done with learning how to play guitar before that. I, you know, I would sit in my room all day learning how to play a Metallica song. Yeah. Now I was sitting there just practicing mixing records all day long. That's what you were doing at that time? Yeah, I was, I was practicing mixing. Like we were throwing little small local parties in Alabama. And, you know, just at night, I would go to Gigantor's studio and we would produce. And sure. Then, like I said earlier, then we moved to Atlanta. And that's when things kind of went more into, you know, a professional level where we started getting booked, uh, you know, in different cities. Yeah. And able to, to fly to a show. And at that and point, it was evil intent. <laughs> Yeah, that yeah. was evil intent. And then, I mean, that was 2001, 2002. Okay. Do you remember the any early shows, like some yeah. of those first bookings? I remember our first major booking was in New York at Direct Drive, opening for DJ Pish Posh, which, you know, is a drum and bass guy from New York. Mm. Uh, and Direct Drive was a, a weekly drum and bass event. So for us, you know, three guys from Alabama, Atlanta area to be able to to play in New York City was a big deal for us. They said no money, no flights, no hotels. If you can get here, you can play. Yeah. So we pressed, I think, like a hundred CDs of all of our music um, in mixed format. We went up there, played the show, did had a good show, handed out every single CD. Got in the car and drove right back, all in one run. We drove wow. up there. I think it was fourteen hours of. Just played, oh, got man. in the car, sixteen hours back, didn't get a hotel and. That's what I would call paying your dues. Yeah, and you that's know, some we, real punk shit. We man. had a we had a series of of gigs like that, you know, where you know a year or so where we were paying our dues, and I, that's something that I have seen kind of disappear in a sense from the scene. It's it's very it's it's not very easy. It's easier now to write one good tune and have a decent you know image or brand behind it, and then shoot to the top. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's just something that. You know, you you needed an A and R person and this and that. Yeah, at that point to yeah. Do it, the know? whole thing is just a little more luxurious now. It's packaged. It's yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. And it's I'm trying to be careful to not use negative words because I don't think it's it's any better or worse than it was before. But it's I mean, just it's kind different. of just calling it like you see it. I mean, you know, there, it's, there's clearly a difference. Yeah. And these days, branding. It takes a huge part of, of what makes a successful artist. I was guess. that at all in your head no. when you were doing Evil Intent? Not, back not in those at days? all. No, not at all. I mean, we did all our own graphic design through AJ. Everything, like I said, it was all DIY. Yeah. So, no, it was just about building a fan base and making the music that we wanted to make. And that's it. You yeah. Know? And, and when, when fans, people started paying attention to us, not just fans, but uh, our peers. Because like I said, there weren't many people in America doing drum and bass. There was guys like Hive, UFO, 
like I said, Funkatech, Crow, right. Violence, Gridlock, all these all these great producers. And to get their recognition, even if it wasn't necessarily a friendship, it was just some sort of stamp of recognition. That's yeah. what we were working towards at the time, well, like drum, a set of goals. Yeah, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you're much more in the scene and from the scene than I ever was. But to me, drum and bass was all about respect of the craft and about technical mastery and people would really appreciate the art on kind of a, a technical level, you know, like they understood what would go into making a really good song. Yeah. I guess it's just one of the earliest genres to really appreciate the producer. Yeah, it really was. I mean, it was all about writing a mix for two minutes. Yeah. Um, the, the, the quality of the mix down. But that kind of came with groups like Pendulum yeah. and Noisia. That's when things really started to change, not just in drum and bass, but in all genres of dance music because they redefined what what it means to have a good mix down. You're right. <laughs> they really right. did. They introduced snare drums into a scene that was dominated by kick drums, mm. you know, and they and rock and roll mix downs and this and that. And it changed everything. But I might have kind of just jumped away from what we were talking no, about. But no, it's yeah, still rel- yeah, relative. Yeah. No, I mean, it's an interesting thing to think about. I remember talking to Mayhem about, you know, because he was involved with some of the, those early Noisia uh, yeah. releases. Uh-huh. And he was saying, you know, even then their mix downs were not great when they sent him the original demos. And then to see how far they've taken it and just uh-huh. turned into a leader. It's I was inspired to hear that because you know I think we we forget and and anyone coming up that everyone sucks what at the yeah. beginning <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> and and yeah you can really work and do whatever it is that you feel like you can't uh-huh. do you know did you enjoy that process going from not knowing how to do something to do something was the the discovery and and all yeah. that fun for you it was fun but also i mean frustrating because right. i was competent as a musician already you know i'd already i already know knew how to play guitar i could i was a drummer i knew i i understood music in a deep in a deep way but I couldn't get that idea out. I didn't know how to process a sound. I didn't know how to make a like a dirty Reese bass. Or right. <laughs> to know how to how to EQ Amen drums. You yeah. know, it was a process. And I mean, to be honest, I I'm still figuring it out. Yeah, of course. And I mean, at all levels of the game, everyone's still trying to get better. It's eager. Yeah. It's eager. You know. Yeah. Excited but more just eager to like get over the hump and get better and better and better right. and better. Yeah, I mean, once you get to that point where you can have an idea in your head and understand how to translate that quickly into, you know, onto the computer, into Ableton or whatever you're yeah. using, that's a pretty good feeling. And that's, yeah. that's something, even personally, I felt like only in the last couple of years. That I mean, I, I st- anytime I finish a solo track just all by myself, I'm... I, I pat myself on the back and I say, <laughs> I don't know how I did it. I didn't think that this was going to get finished right. at all. I had pretty much given given up on it. And then I, are, are you always that way? Because I'm very much yeah. that way that by the end of a song, I don't, I couldn't even really tell you how I got there. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I am that way. I, I, I put out a tune this year called Reality and that song had 10 different drops from when I started to, I mean, the intro is the same and the breakdowns were kind of the same, the vibes, and I just could not get a drop that I was happy with because I said, oh, this is too convoluted, this is too dubstepy, this is too trappy, this blah, 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 yeah. blah, and just keep going, I give up, I give up, finally. Wait, what's that? I accidentally did something cool. <laughs> That's the thing, it's like happy accidents. Right. Every, any producer who has 
any shred of credibility will admit to you that most of their best things came from an accident. Yeah, well, and you know, you were talking about trying all these different ideas. At a certain point, you can overthink it too, right? Yeah. And then it's just a lost cause. Well, I mean, you know, for me, you know, lately I've actually kind of started to toss away a lot of the stuff that I learned early on. Mm. Um, A good example would be the last five years I've used a spectrum analyzer on everything that I work on. And then I realized I'm limiting myself by what something looks looks like. Right. I, you know, I should be closing the computer screen, not looking deeper into it and trying to figure out the perfect frequency of this. <laughs> and it ruined it for me. It really did ruin the fun for a while. And yeah. so I, I deleted them. I got them. I just deleted them all of my computer, and I don't use them. And my tunes lately have sounded much better to me. Oh, that's interesting. Because I'm not trying to make them perfect. I'm not trying so hard. I'm just making the song, and then I'll I can go in and EQ it and fix things up as I need to. But yeah, I've just I've tried to cut away a little bit of what you know what's between myself and you know the the computer yeah when you had said earlier that you learned by ear and that you know that was kind of how you first came to music so maybe in a way that's sort of getting back to that more instinctual yeah uh, it is yeah for sure yeah a live kind of accidents happen you know, and, and, and it could even come down to like coming up with a synth line. You know, I may just say, well, I don't want to use Serum or Massive. I'm just going to load a vocal in here and then time stretch it and then pitch it down 12 and run it through a saturator <laughs> and then filter it and then resample it. And then all of a sudden I get this weird noise. Yeah. Oh, like I hear a pattern there. Yeah, yeah. That's where the fun stuff happens. Yeah, so yeah, the chasing the those ideas, that's that's definitely a fun part for me is you just get on, you know, it's like you hop on a track for ten minutes and you just take that ride and see where it ends up without worrying about it too much. That's something uh, I learned from Jake Kill the Noise yeah. too about Jake will push stuff so far. I you know, I've I've worked with him so much over the years on different things. And the one thing about Jake when you're working in the studio with him is that He'll do something, and you'll say, "Oh my god, that's so sick!" And then he just keeps tweaking it and tweaking it, and you're like, "Oh shit!" He, he like it's gone, right? right? And he just keeps going. He's like, "No, no, no!" <laughs> just keeps going, going, going. And Twenty minutes later, he's just got the nastiest, craziest thing you've ever heard because he pushed himself to that point. Mm. And that's some. I definitely took a page out of his book on that. Yeah, know? just not being satisfied with yeah. just a good idea. You got to be. You got to be standing out of your chair. You know, you got to be laughing and walking around the room, going, "Oh shit! Like that's sick." If if you're not, then you are kind of settling. I feel like. Yeah, that's a good point because sometimes if you just get a good idea, something that sounds good after struggling for a while, that's a good feeling, right? And so you feel like ah, still not can, good enough. Right. Exactly. You can fall into the trap of just being like, "Okay, I solved yeah. the problem. I can relax now." But yeah, you're right. It's it's those moments where if you just took that extra 10% or that extra half hour and, and really pushed it after you had the good idea, yeah, that is kind of when the magic yes. can happen. Or even to take it even a little further, or you know, if you just stay in the studio thirty minutes longer than you yep. want to, it's another thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, you, the, you know, when you're in a creative rut, which seems to happen for so many people I know, and understandable, especially in today's yeah. world with <laughs> all the distractions. Mm-hmm. But you know, I've found that the only cure for that creative block is to get in the studio and just keep working, even if you're making stuff that you hate and you keep getting pissed off at yourself and you say, "God, what? Like, why do?" I suck. What, right. what, what am I doing? Just keep doing it. Keep making that shitty song. Just yeah. see it through. See it through. Because you never know. You might accidentally, or you might just 
stumble upon an idea or a fill in that stupid idea that you say, wait, that one tiny little thing right there sounds like the main riff to a song that I could make. Right. And then bam, you've got it. And you got it back and then you're back in the groove. But you have to like work through so much yeah, as, and a, it's, as a producer it's mental and emotional work too, right? Because yeah. for me, if I'm, if I'm stuck in the studio and I leave for the day and I didn't fix it or I didn't get anything I liked, then I leave in a bad mood and I come back you know, sort of expecting that same thing to happen, yeah, right? Sure. And you get in these ruts. I think about that all the time. Sometimes you almost have to to trick yourself into getting out of it, and whether that's just forcing yourself to still stay there, or yeah. for yeah. me, that's what it takes. I just, you know, it, it'll it, that can mean five days in a row of just feeling like I need to retire and call it a day <laughs> and sell beach chairs, but like it always works out if you just keep pushing yourself. You know, yeah, if you got the talent to do it and if you've done it before there's no reason you can't do it again sure well you know we've been talking about uh you forming evil intent and we were talking about your collaborations with different people jake and and others do you like that collaborative environment is that helpful for your creative process yeah it took me a long time to figure out that i do like to collaborate mm. um bro safari for me was something that it was it's, it's almost as if i was proving something to myself <clears throat> That you could do it. That I could do it myself, you know, because I'd only worked as a collaborator in the past. Right. Evil Intent was a trio. Before that was all bands. I'd never done a solo, you know, quote unquote solo solo project. So in a sense, it was kind of like proving to myself I could do it. But I really do enjoy working with other people. I feel like that's, I think it's important to work with other people. Yeah. Even for a solo artist, it's good to step out sometime and, and, and work with other people because that's where inspiration comes from, new ideas. No one has all of the ideas. Right, right. You know? And we can always be better too. You know, there's yeah. this idea that if you're a solo artist, it has to be your pure vision, which, you know, I respect that. That's cool. But even those solo artists with this pure vision, they're still getting criticism from their friends. Yeah. You know, even if those friends aren't making the songs, there's always input and we can always push ourselves to be better. It's something personally it took me a long time to accept yeah. too. And I always I always want that feeling to watch somebody do something in Ableton that I say, I didn't know that you could do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's a good thing. This, oh, absolutely. Nothing that yeah, I mean, that's just adding to our little bag yeah. of tricks, right? Yeah, so that, that that helps with the learning aspect. But in terms of just, you know, fulfilling a creative void or whatever, I yeah, I like I like working with people, um, especially people like Jake yeah. uh, or UFO, who's, you know, my number one collaborating partner. Right. Do you think uh, in those early days of Evil Intent with you and, and AJ and Gigantor, did you all kind of get better faster in that kind of environment? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a hive mind right. type thing. I mean, it, anything that I learned and I put into a file, that file was passed on to Mike or AJ and they would work on it. And there's, you know, whether they like it or not, they're going to get influenced by something that, <laughs> right. that I did there or vice versa. Yeah. So how did it take off a little bit for Evil Intent? Because for a, a few years there, you guys were, I mean, traveling a fair amount, yeah. right? Yeah, did. Releasing um, a lot of records. Released a lot of, that. I mean, that's really what it was, is we were putting out a lot of records. And we, the fact that we did it ourselves, I think won us the respect of our peers. The fact that we didn't ask for handouts, we didn't ask to get on a label, we did right. it all ourselves. So from there, we started catching the eyes of, or the ears of uh, people in the UK. And, you know, being that drum and bass is, from the UK, that's the, the motherland for right, the German base. Right. So labels that I had just been infatuated with, like Renegade Hardware, for example, all of a sudden they wanted to put out an EP of ours. And 
that had been a goal from when we started it. You know, for like I've mentioned earlier, my first exposure to drum bass was Diesel Boy. Right. When I started DJing, I was saying like, I'm gonna meet that guy one day. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna meet him, and now we're friends. You right. know what I mean? That was one goal knocked down, and then another one was release an EP on Renegade Hardware. We did it, mm. and so it, it was. As a young man, it was very comforting to know that if you if you if you believe in something and you really want it that bad, and you're not you're not overthinking it, you're just doing. Yeah, you can pretty much get whatever you want. You know. Yeah, I had I, a very specific list of, of <laughs> goals that we just smashed. You know? Well, and that's but, great. I think that's super valuable for any young producer is to you know even if it's just sort of a, a hippie vision board kind of thing to really. Dude, that stuff is real, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just you know, put it in your mind. You know, it's not something you have to think about every day, but just put it out there. Yeah, it's just something that I wanted, and that I said, not not just that I want, but I know. Like I'm, I'm capable. It may right. not be easy, but I know that I can do this. So I'm going to put everything into it. Yeah, yeah. And so from the time when you guys really started traveling around, you were all in at this point. I take it. Yeah, yeah. Was there ever any early doubts about you know this thing being a full time thing, either from you or from your family or well, any outside influence? No, my family's always been very supportive, mm. and that I'm super lucky in that regard. Yeah, that's but, huge. Um, you know, I I think my biggest thing at the time was this is all fun and great, but I don't want to be a 40 year old DJ. So I, even then, you were. Thinking I said about to that. myself, I don't want to be a 40 year old DJ. And guess what? <laughs> I'm 38, and, and you know there. what? And now I think, holy shit, I'm so gr- lucky to be a 40 year old right. DJ because. I mean, granted, you know, I don't see this being the rest of, I'm not going to do this the rest of my life. You know, I'm already working towards other things now, but what an incredible ride it has been. And I'm very fortunate, you know, and I recognize that. And what, at the time I thought, oh, I don't want to be some old dude, like, which is funny that I used the number 40, (laughs) like, and now (laughs) 38 year old me is looking at (laughs) 20 year old me and saying, go fuck yourself, man. Basically, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's always funny. There's not related to anything but if you're in the club and you know someone's like how old are you and i'm 35 so i'll say 35 and you know depending on their age you don't look 35 right it's always that and if they're too young it's like they can't even conceive they're like yeah right yeah how old are you really (laughs) yeah it's just bizarre. i know i know but it is i mean it's a young person scene right like we are the outsiders now yes i said the same thing recently so you know like we're we're just old men in a young man's game. We're dinosaurs of this scene. Yeah. So we should be lucky that we're still relevant in any form. This is maybe a loaded question, but is our experience as you know somebody who's been in the game for 10, 20 years, what is that worth in 2017? You know? <laughs> It's it's something I wonder about for myself because, you know, experience is great. Like it gives you wisdom to deal with situations, whether it's business or your workflow, anything like that. But then I also wonder if it holds me back in some ways because I'm too stuck in in old patterns. Well, that's up to you, right? I mean, that's, yeah. See, so for me personally, I make it a point to not let myself get some sort of ego where I'm better than a 19-year-old who's just learning this, this because right. that's not true. And if, the minute you start thinking like that, you're done. Yeah. You're done evolving. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. So, I mean, for me, it, it just boils down to the person, right? I mean, I don't, I think what is it, you asked the question, what is it worth in 2017? I think it's worth a whole hell of a lot if somebody's willing to listen to what you have to say mm. and somebody asks the right questions because 
there's no denying the fact that we've seen a lot of shit. We've seen the scene come and go. I've I've seen literally the birth birth and death of a of a music genre in my you know I, yeah. I I can look at things that some of these younger artists are doing and and may think to myself oh I want to tell them not to do that because that's gonna they're not you know it's gonna right. end their career. I can tell them right now, <laughs> but who am I to do that? You know? Right, right, yeah. So I said it just depends on who's listening and what question you ask. Sure. When you talked about you know the birth and death of a scene, uh, how as far as your first group with Evil Intent, you know how did that? Well, first of all, what do you think kind of the peak of the group was like when you felt like you were really just killing it? I think. Well, is there a second part? The second part is you know what was the decline and how did that chapter kind of come to not a close, sure. but you know how did it well, wind down? I think the period that I kind of spoke about with where we had we were releasing with UK labels and we were touring in Europe. That was definitely a, a peak. Three guys from Alabama able to start a drum, a successful drum. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it was, it was, it was all cool and surreal. And we're still together. I need to point that out. Right, still, right. Actually, you know, that's I was, why I didn't want to say it came to a close. Yeah, because you know, Gigantor and I were just working on a, a new tune this last week and a half. So nice. we're still making music. But nevertheless, it's you know, it doesn't take any sort of wizard like to see <laughs> that I'm not as much a part of that as I am Bro Safari. Right. So I think for me. I things started to decline a bit when I just got kind of bored with the monotony of making drum and bass, mm. and then the scene was very toxic at the time. It was very toxic. I didn't in what really, way the, the internet, mm. um, and there's just there's a, there's so much politics in drum and bass and all of music. There's but drum and bass in particular, especially with the you know the difference between UK and US, and it just got to a point where I was just kind of over it, and yeah. I wanted to get out my guitar, I wanted to play other stuff. And so I spent a good year and a half just doing nothing really, except just messing around in my studio, just making like whatever I wanted to make. Mm. At that point, did you have in your mind that you were just gonna make a new project or you were gonna keep doing something music wise? Well, funny enough, I, had, I was living in LA at the time. So I felt like I was doing something, but I wasn't. <laughs> right. I mean, I was making enough money to survive. Off still of off, the records. Off, off, no, off DJing. Still, we were still doing shows okay. here and there. And I, I I, did another side project with Jake and Killinois called Ludacris. We were yeah. doing stuff like that. And I had actually started Bro Safari already, but I wasn't really pursuing it in any serious form or sure. fashion. Before we get into Bro Safari, just really quickly, I do want to talk about the Ludacris yeah. project just because sure. personally I love that project so <laughs> much. Well, first of all, talk about when you first met Jake back in the day. What was he like when you were just working with him in the drum and bass days? He's the same now as he was then, okay. but he was just... Of unfiltered, more unfiltered, and you know, probably drank more, and yeah. So all of us were the same. Way. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. the same. He's, he's, one of my he's always people. been. Yeah, he's exactly. He's always been one of my favorite people because he's. There's nobody like him, and he's so fucking intelligent. Yeah. And I think that was the thing when I first met him. I didn't expect that, like the the level of depth to come from him. Right, right. I don't know why. It's just maybe it's just like I, I had a stigma, you know, upstate New York kid, like just kind of an asshole to people. <laughs> sure, yeah, but likes then to you drink, get to know, you know him and you realize like he's he's a very smart guy, very deep. Has a lot of great things to say. So, you know, knowing him then and now, like I said, it's 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 he's the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's the same guy. And that's what makes him so great is that he does not change. He right. doesn't bend 
for right. you know the only time he's going to change is when he wants to change himself. Yeah, yeah, which admirable. is a lesson we can all take. Yeah. And so the the Ludacris project, how did you guys was it just kind of a joke to start off with? Yeah, just fucking around in the I know studio? I was living here in LA already and he was visiting. I f- yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh we were in my living room. I remember this, uh, you know, I remember it very well. We were, yeah. I had already started the very beginning of Bangfest, the first Ludacris mix. I'd already started, I think, the first three minutes just because I was just messing around on a laptop with Ableton and mashups. And yeah. then he heard it and he just thought it was hilarious. And he and I have a very similar sense of humor, especially in the studio. And we he started on the, the second half of the mix. So then we immediately... We're like, okay, cool, let's do this. Let's make a mashup project. And he, we're sitting in my living room and he was looking through iTunes and somebody mislabeled a Ludacris record, Ludacris. <laughs> okay. And we both looked yeah. at it and said, Ludacris, that's there. Boom, there we go. <laughs> I think for a while we were going to call it like the Axel Foley because that was the original. Right. So anyhow, but yeah, that's how it started. Man, and As a joke. Well, right. And, you know, and it was a humor-based project kind of through and through, right? Sure. But what I liked about it was that you guys treated it the same. Yeah, it was very know? technical. Yeah, it was technical. And I mean, you guys actually played at least a few shows with it, right? Yeah. 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 That was so cool to me, man. It, that was fun, man. I, I've never had as much fun in the studio as I did when I was really? when we were working on those mixes. Huh. Yeah. And putting together live shows. We just I mean, it was laughing. That's that's what it should be, right? You know, right. I mean, obviously it's not always gonna you're always gonna be having a great old time in the studio, but that was definitely the most fun sure, man. in terms and, of sessions. Yeah, and, and just the fact that you could put humor and, and levity into music and still treat it seriously and have it taken seriously. Yeah. I don't know. There's not much of that in dance music. I mean there's there's maybe happy songs, but you it's know. It's like tongue in cheek. Right, right. Yeah, to actually have that. I, I enjoyed it. I don't know if you ever heard um, me and Kurt Flostradamus had a project called Laugh Factory. It no. was very much in the same vein. I want to hear it. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll send it to you, man. Yeah. It was like using, you know, internet video samples. And it was like a little after Luna yeah. Christ, but just sort of the evolution of that idea. I mean, you know, I sometimes I think about that now is if we had started that now there's so much more material to work with because now it's not just about music now right. you, i mean meme culture yeah. uh, video viral video culture like you could make a, a you could put together a mix tape that just covers all of these bases it's actually not a bad idea well man. we've talked about doing more ludicrous uh it just every time we've gotten together to do it i think we kind of not butt heads but we just I don't think we have the same idea of of where Ludacris should go. Sure. So I think for both of us, it's kind of like, well, if it's not coming together naturally, then no worries. We both got our own thing going, and we'll come back to it when the time of is course, right. Of course, man. You know? And it makes sense. You know, you guys have gone on to have these these huge solo careers, and you know, I think it makes sense that when you're working closely with a friend that you see every day or whatever the situation was, that's, you know, then you have your own language, your own humor. Yeah. It makes sense that that's when you I would do. love to go back to it though. I would love it if you did, man. Yeah. I mean we like I said, we've we've talked about it. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. You know, he had a kid. Right. I've got a kid. You've got yeah, a kid, it's it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's stuff going on. It happens. And so, you know, going back to LA when you were here and kind of evil intent slowed down, you were making, you know, songs with your guitar, kind of just letting it flow. Yeah. 
I was listening last night when I knew I was going to talk to you to the old Bro Safari SoundCloud. I did a deep dive. Oh, wow. And there, some of the early stuff I had no idea that was under Bro Safari was kind of this really interesting, like deep, glitchy, okay, dubby so, stuff. Yeah. And, you know, that SoundCloud, there was a, I had a MySpace page before that. Sure. And that had four other songs that I've lost. I can't find them. I don't know where they are. Really? They may, I, I say that and I haven't really looked yeah. too hard for him I, but i just mean on my computers i haven't been ever ever been able to find them but yeah i, I made like an ep when i first started bro safari and it was just glitchy dubstep mm. weird just, you know weird stuff and i i i had written the four songs and i said oh well i need a name for this and then i came up with bro safari and just put them up on myspace as, as a thing yeah that's the last i thought of it until i heard mumatone mm, interesting what was do you remember when you heard that and, and mumatone kind of, yeah uh, the first song I think that that I can recall hearing is Munchie's remix of "Firepower." Yeah, that's it. Because it, it had that same kind of just punk rock energy that drum and bass had. You know, yeah. leave it to Munchie to to do that, by the way, because he has the same influences that I do. Right, that. right, yeah. I mean, if there ever was a a punk still left in dance music, yeah. it's got to be him. I it was sick. So that immediately. I said, okay, like I've I found something that I'm inspired by and I just started doing my own thing. And I wrote uh, The Worm mm-hmm. and somehow Diplo got a hold of it like he He's always does. That, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he, I think he tweeted at me and I was like, holy shit, like what? Because, I, I, you know, we're, we're skipping a large gap of time where I, I was very unsure of what I was going to do with my life. Well, or, yeah, so. that was kind of what I was trying to get at earlier yeah. is, you know, in that period, you know, because we all go through those periods in our life and sure. our careers, right? Where things slow down or you just kind of lose your way for a minute. At that time, what was running through your head? Were you thinking about, you know, doing something else entirely? Were, was it an anxious time? It was, well, I mean, for me, I, I found out I was going to be a, a dad. Well, that's, So yeah. I, you know, I was living here and I found out I was going to be the father. And I said, okay, I need to move to be with the mother. Right, out to Austin. Well, it, San Antonio, actually, okay. at the time. So I moved to San Antonio to be with her. And I kept having conversations with her. You know, I'm not, what am I going to do? I can't support, uh, I can't, I can't do this with what I'm doing now. Evil Intent isn't really paying bills and I don't have anything else. Right. Puts everything um, into focus real quick. And I remember she and I were s- sitting on our balcony one night and she, I, I, I I'd kind of put it out there like this. You know, either I give this one chance and I, I really go for it or I go back to school, I get a job. You know, we talked it back and forth. What's the benefits of, of both? And then I, I kept coming back to this thing where I was thinking, you know, I don't want to be older. I don't want to be 60, 70, or how, you know, God willing, however old yeah. I am, you know, and then say, why didn't I go for it? You know, that's one of those things that I had the foresight to say, this is a bad idea. If you don't, you know, yeah. all I've ever known is music. How am I supposed to go get a job? I mean, yeah, sure. I can go to school. I could do that. Right. I, but that's not what I wanted to do. Right. So, and she got behind me a hundred percent and she gave me the courage to do it. That's and so valuable, man. So, yeah. I mean, having a support system is everything. Yeah. And she's always been that for me. So It's so important, man. It's everything. I mean, yeah. if if, peop- if everyone around you is like, eh, you're all right. You suck. <laughs> like, you know, what are you going to be, what are you going to do with your life? Because there are people who do have those kind of influence. They're like, what are you going to, how are you going to be a DJ or how are you going to 
be a painter? How are you going to write a book? That does nobody any good. So luckily, I haven't had to deal with that. Yeah. So around that time, you know, again, I was just very unsure of everything. Right. So like I said, when Diplo comes, you know, and I'd been watching all my friends doing well, like Jake, he started Kill the Noise, and it was, I was like, wow, he just completely reinvented himself right. out, of, out of the gate. After being bitter about that for a while, like watching all my friends, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. how dare they be popular and do, right. and do good. Uh, you know, everybody goes through that thing oh, at some 100%. point, and then you learn your lesson. 100%. I'm not like that anymore. Yeah, I just kind of applied what I'd, I'd learned from watching them, you know, the dedication yeah. and the hard work they put into redefining who they are as artists. Right. I just, yeah. And that's that's the thing, right? Is that anytime you, because it's easy to see somebody rise quickly or see somebody get something you want and say, you know, ah, why'd they get that instead of me? But if you actually figure out why they got it instead of you, that's something. because they wanted it. Well, sure. <laughs> and, and and what I'm saying is if you figure out what they did differently than you, you know, there's a reason they got it and you didn't get it. And if you can use that to better your own self and better your own career, right? That's just another tool in your arsenal. 100%, yeah. yeah. And so those early days of, of Moombatone, it seemed like at least when I first, because I think I knew of Evil Intent, but I didn't really necessarily know that it was you and, and AJ. And yeah. it was the Moombatone days when I knew of you as a person, you know, yeah, as sure. Nick. Yeah, and I, I think, remember. Yeah, DC? yeah. That's when we first yeah, met, I think. I yeah, I remember hanging out in D.C. Uh, before a U-Haul show. Oh yeah, I remember that too. Yeah, went to some little like cheesesteak spot, like yeah, fuck random. That. I know, but I no, remember I forgot it. Yeah, that. that. I was gonna say I remember us being in the booth one of those nights in U-Haul. Yeah, it was one of those nights where like ten DJs were playing or yeah. something, which was another fun part Dude, of the early Moomatone crowd. Right? It was, right? Yeah. it was just a, a party and like this amazing social group of Very, people. Very just, punk. Yeah, very punk and, and just connected by this weird sound. All of us were, man. Yeah, you, 100%. me, Nodostrom, I mean, yeah. Valentino, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I, obviously I could keep going. I still remember those days, man. Those parties were some of the most fun events too. Yeah. It was that, it was what we were saying earlier, a new sound, right? Exactly. And the excitement of- And it's very raw, uncut, no rules. Again, I keep bringing back this punk rock thing. Right. And it's just, it's always been this like thing that's lurking in the background of everything I've done. Everything that I've ever gotten into with all my heart has kind of had this kind of punk rock thing going on behind it. Yeah, yeah. And that makes total Maybe sense. Maybe there's a better word for it than punk. But DIY. DIY I mean, yeah, you know, it's just very, raw you know like i said youth youthful very just uh full of life and no rules yeah and i mean hearing yeah and hearing you talk about it it makes sense that you would gravitate towards that mumatone thing which was invented more or less by accident by dave you know exactly yeah (laughs) (laughs) happy accidents man we're back there exactly it seemed like you were pretty successful in that genre pretty quickly. Would you agree with that? I would agree. Like it took a long time to get there. Yeah, but. it's all relative. You know, it was a small scene, but within that scene, I, I felt like I I did a good job of representing myself and sure. the sound and kind of putting my own twist on it, yeah. Or, or I guess just that that's how a lot of people first heard the name Bro Safari. Yes, was yeah. That oh scene. yeah, for sure. That's how I got my start. And it was because, you know, I was putting out packaged EPs. I was doing Moombatone theme mixes and yeah. I had a cool logo by accident. And, right, you know, right. So, it's, so I, and now we're back to the idea of branding, which yeah. do you think that was the first time in your career that you really kind of used that as part of your arsenal or thought I, about it a lot? I mean, I didn't think about it when I made the logo. That's the thing. I made the logo when I did those four glitchy dubstep okay. songs. I've had that logo for years and years before anybody 
Mm. Heard of Bruce Safari. But uh, when it came time to play a show, I needed an image for the flyer. And I said, here, just use this face. Because I'm like, why not? Right. And then it became a thing. And then obviously it dawned on me that I had a great branding thing going on, but only when people really told, you know, mentioned it. Right. So I, I'm aware that my branding had a huge part to do with like what set me apart from others early on, but I somewhat resent it a little bit <laughs> right. because I'm not a fan of the branding culture that we're currently like entrenched mm. in right now. But at the same time, I don't want to be that that guy. Like, right. Yeah, you can't have a brand. Like, well, and you don't want to shoot dumb. yourself in the Everybody's foot. Everybody's always had a brand. Look at Black Flag, the greatest punk band of all time, arguably, yeah. has a has a like an Extremely iconic image. Identifiable, yeah. And so branding exists for a reason. Right. But I think it's that's that's the difference, maybe, is that you know, the branding for a band like Black Flag was about like they were just writing something on a wall that was easy for them to write that everybody was like, Yeah, Black Flag. Yeah, you But then today yeah. you might run into some acts that they just craft it from the ground floor up. And it's not about the music, it's about the brand. And that's where I start getting resentful of that. I got I gotta like yeah, yeah, walk no, a fine line. A hundred percent, man. Yeah. And I you're not alone in feeling that yeah. way. Even the people who have those very calculated brands, I think some of them realize that that can't be the only thing they do, you know, because that to me is a is a short-term yeah. success, right? And long term, no guarantee. It's all about the music. Long term, right. if you don't have the goods, then you, you know whatever you're a flash in the pan. If you're a good producer, if you're a good artist, musician, if you you know, then you have longevity. You sure. have the potential to have longevity. Yeah, and if you have a a great brand on top of that, then you cool. Know, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're fantastic. So I think that's kind of like you're hitting at the at the root of my issues with it. Is you know, if the music's not there, then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm chuckling to myself. I mean, is that, know. you know, obviously in the culture we're living in in 2017, it is much more about branding, right? And there are lots of these people who are kind of blowing up quickly off of these brands. Do you think that's actually having any kind of like a serious negative effect? Or do you just think it's kind of just a phase that'll, you know, I think it's pass both. by? Yeah. Both, perhaps. I mean, I think it is a phase. I don't think it does damage other than it may restrict someone who might otherwise be a, a really great artist, it might restrict them from putting too much attention towards their brand. Mm. And when they could have spent that extra five hours working on a song or, you know. That's a good point, yeah. I just, I don't, I, I hate the idea of, you know, a 10 year old kid out there who listens to whoever, they, they're they sitting there thinking like, oh, well, what can I look like? Yeah. It's like, wait a second, what do you sound like? But this is, I mean, this is getting further and further into just the culture of today, right? In the, the social media culture and that a 10-year-old now has a smartphone maybe, you yeah. know, and maybe they have an Instagram and maybe, you know, at this point in their young life, they're already very concerned with how they're perceived and they already understand how to put out an image of themselves, yeah, right? That dude. may not be their real image. I, I mean, I, I often think how hard it must be to be a kid these days. I, I, you know, you have this, you have multiple versions of yourself, right? You yeah. have the version of yourself that only you know, the private you. You have the version of yourself that goes on social media, which is not like the version of you that, you know. Right. And then you have the version of yourself that's IRL, you know, the, mm. the like friends, like when you're out with your friends hanging out. Right. That's different from your social you and the personal you. And then you've got the one that exists with your family. 
Right. And it, you know, you're managing all these different <laughs> psychologically, that's gotta be doing lasting damage. I mean, do you I think. think about that? You have a child, you know, yeah. is that a He's big... still too young to really have an ego. So I think once ego comes into it, that's when it becomes a problem. Do you try to protect him from screens or social media or anything uh, like I that? I think it would be stupid to protect him yeah. from it because this is the future. You know, I I'm I'm not fighting the future, right. but it's more about teaching him the lessons of like basic lessons in life. You know, yeah. the golden rule: treat others as you'd want to be treated, and yeah, things like that. I really try my best to instill those kind of lessons into him early on. Yeah, to, to, like I don't want him to ever think that it's okay to make fun of somebody. Period. Right. Because you don't wouldn't want anybody to make fun of you. you right. Know? You know, parenting, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing, man. But <laughs> yeah. But all I can think is just try to make make a human that's not going to grow up to be an asshole. Yeah. That's really like your job Great as a parent, goal. right? Great like just goal. Raise somebody who's not an asshole. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, we can do a whole nother podcast about parenting. <laughs> yeah. But yeah it's, no it, it flies through my mind every once in a while. And, and so getting back to, you know, the, the Mumatone days and Bro Safari kind of being a known artist at, at this point, you mentioned that, you know, Diplo picked up on it really early. Did you guys work together? Did you collaborate with him at some point? Or am I making uh, that up? No, we did. Uh, we worked on a kind of trap style tune. It was actually really good at the time. I liked it a lot. And it... I think Iggy Azalea was going to get on it or something. It just—it was one of those things, you know. In the music industry, yeah. something is supposed to happen, and it just uh, kind of doesn't. And then she did wind up using it on something, and this and that, you know. So I—I I don't even remember the details of the yeah. release at this point, but uh, it was a great experience, nevertheless. Sure. Well, and it's funny, you know, I think people, just listeners of the music don't always understand, you know, they're like, well, you work together. Why didn't, you know, why didn't the song come out? Or if, yeah. if it exists, why won't you put it out? And it's it's hard to explain kind of the intricacies of, A, just work, getting together with someone, making something, both deciding that it's finished, then to decide how to jointly release it. If there's a vocalist, like you said, it's another layer. Everybody has their own management with their own schedules, and it's it depends also in this you know the stature of the artists I guess collaborating sure because you know somebody like Diplo doesn't need a collab with Bro Safari right you know but at the time Bro Safari I, I didn't need it but I <laughs> mean hurt. it helped it, it <laughs> way more beneficial to me than to him sure. so he's it makes sense to me why you know he might say oh this is cool but it's not quite cool enough. And to be clear, that's not what happened here. Right, I'm just right, saying right. in generalizations of of you know of com comparing two artists working together, who yeah. has the most to gain? The the one who has the least to gain is usually the one who's like yeah, no, putting the kibosh on stuff. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, nah, I don't think this is coming out. Well, and that's a common thing you see too. That then the smaller artist, in some cases, maybe did more of the work. Or just you know put more effort into it because it meant more, meant more or it would them, yeah. mean more to them. Well, like we talked about, I mean, I I try to work with uh, younger producers all the time, right? And I tr I try my best to not have a situation come up like that where yeah. I feel like, wait a second, I don't. This is I don't. I'm not trying to just steal this guy's creative mojo and just make a tune out of his ideas. You know, like right now I'm working with this guy past at. He's here in L.A. We're gonna debut a song tonight at the show. It's we've been going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And what he sent me originally to work on, I was like, oh, okay, cool. I hear some ideas. Did my thing, changed around the intro, sent it back, left the drop. And then he worked on it more, sent it back. And I, you know, it was basically, it was a true collaboration. Yeah. And it was me saying to myself, like, I have to push myself. Keeps me young, like you were saying earlier. Right. Keep, keeps me on my toes. And like, I, and I'm learning, you know, from, from, 
younger producers, the way they arrange their sounds, the way that they're you know processing their synths or yeah. this or that. Or and there's always more to learn, right? I mean, the the way yeah. that a 19 year old kid is going to produce a song is going to be very different from how I'm going to produce a song, yeah. just because of the way we learned it, right? Yeah. Like I said, I've I feel like I've I've intentionally been like knocking myself down a few pegs in terms of production capabilities or, or resources rather. Yeah, just like, taking things out taking of the things sandbox. out of yeah, you know, just making it a little more about reminding yourself that it's about the music. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a great lesson too is, you know, it's easy to get caught up in, you know, oh, what's the newest synth? What's the newest plugin? You know, I have 50 different uh, yeah. a- analyzers, which, all of that, which nothing wrong, no, no value <laughs> judgment. Yeah, and some of those are great. But if you, you know, take your five favorite tools and just say, this is all I can use, that's, for me, a way to inspire creativity, yeah. you know? and not get so caught up about different options and just say, nope, this is yeah. what it is. I mean, every once in a while, I'll you know go online and buy something specifically. I'll say, okay, I am I need something to inspire me. And then I'll start, I'll look around for effects units, processing units or um, new synths just, and I'll buy one. And I'll say, all right, now I'm just going to go in for like two days and just record everything I do and, and have like a wave file so I can just go right. and chop up samples. and Yeah, man. So with the Bro Safari project, uh, going through the Moombatone days, through the decline of Moombatone or whatever you want to call it, sure. the, the next wave. Um, into trap. Into trap, right. And, and you, I think, pivoted and kind of made that transition really well and better than some people from from the old scene yeah was that did you see it coming was it a conscious thing yeah i saw it coming but more than that like i'd already been listening to that kind of music i mean mm-hmm. you know that the style of drum programming that was in the earlier trap tunes was being done in atlanta for a long time right so i had already known how to kind of like produce that type of beat so for me that that part was already out of the way right you know i just said okay now i just got to like figure out this whole like annoying sound to go on top of the drums <laughs> thing <laughs> gotta love that annoying um, sound yeah so i yeah it was it was a pretty effortless transition in that regard I didn't think about it. Yeah. You know, again, like I, in retrospect, looking back, I didn't, there wasn't a moment where I said, okay, I'm not going to do Moombatone. I'm going right. to do trap now. I'm a trap guy. Right. That's, you know, it never happened. Yeah. Nevertheless, I did kind of drift in that direction. Sure. And one thing that struck me when I was thinking about it yesterday too, is that throughout Moombatone and, and trap and just the rise of the Bro Safari project, so much, almost all of the success was off of free releases, right? Uh-huh. And independent stuff. It wasn't really a label. It wasn't, as far as I could tell, a, a big cosign. I mean, obviously- It was Dip all was, me, 100%. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like people were paying attention, but it wasn't like somebody was putting you on, you know? Moombatone and Trap. Like right. uh, from Bro Safari, the whole the idea behind it from the beginning, like you said, it was free. Like free download, free everything. I didn't want to put like anything up. I wanted- I didn't want there to be any blockade between yeah. myself and the, and the potential listener. Right. And I mean, you're you're a true SoundCloud success story in that way, I think. You yeah. know, like that's what that platform was intended for. Yeah. And, and to see you where you are, it, it worked in that sense. And I think about if a kid wanted to put, give away free music now, you know, how do they do it? Like SoundCloud is still there, but it's not the it's same. It's one of those things, was. man. I think the, you know, right place, right time. That's yeah. that's a com- common theme throughout any industry, not music, you sure. know, the film industry or anything. You know, people who are in these positions, uh, enviable positions, they <laughs> often will tell you, you know, right place, right time, right set of skills, and right people around me, and it just kind of worked yeah. out that way. 
so yeah, I mean, 100% SoundCloud, like when I discovered it, I said, this is awesome. I can just put my stuff up. I can put my own artwork up there. I can type up what I want to, I can interact with my fans. I can go listen to other stuff. This is perfect. And then SoundCloud quickly turned into a shit show. Right. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, <laughs> I can't go on there. And it sucks because, you know, like I said, before there was no gate, no fan gating or yeah. anything like that. And I'll admittedly say, like, I when I give away stuff for free now, and I still give away everything for free, Right. but I do require an email or right. something like that. It's that sucks because it's, you know, everybody's the same. And I hear new tunes from new artists all the time that don't have much of a following that I want to play out. Like I'll say, oh, I got this great demo in, 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 in an email. I follow it to SoundCloud. And there's a, a thing where they're asking me to link my account to right. theirs and this and that. And I'd say, well, I guess I'm not playing that tune. Yeah, man. And that sucks because they're just doing what they got to do. Right. And they, or what they think they have to do. Right. And... Uh, yeah, you just kind of shot yourself in the foot. Now, like somebody who you'd want to play your tune is not doing it because it wasn't, you know, you should yeah. send them the you should have sent them the MP3 in the email. <laughs> like right. we always tell you on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just send the direct <laughs> link, man. That's all we need. Yeah, it, it's tough for for a new producer. But then again, you know, there's probably new techniques that I don't even know about or new ideas that we'll soon see happening for people to get well, their music you out know, there. The problem is, it, it kind of became this thing where it's like reposts. Yeah. And that's not organic. And when right. it's not organic, it may draw some more eyeballs to it, but it's not genuine. And you can't ever gauge what your true audience is. That's true. Yeah, yeah. It's deceptive to the artist. And I think it's deceptive to the listener because they're no longer getting, you know, a true representation of what that artist thinks is really cool and wants to share with them. Yeah. Instead, they're getting, you know, whatever... Yeah the repost group that the artist is a part of said to post on Monday, you know, yeah. which, and, you know, I'll fully admit, like I'm in a few of those repost groups. I, at a certain point felt like I had to do it. I don't know How where does that I'm make at. you feel though. That, I mean, not great, but at the same time when I did it, I, you know, it, like I said, doing what you got to do. Right. Exactly. exactly. That's the problem. Yeah. So that's so now that we've identified that that's an issue, it's like, what do, how do we get out of that? Right. How do we, as all of us together, right. there needs to be a new platform That's perhaps? the thing I think SoundCloud has done. I mean, I don't think yeah. you can reverse the clock on how it works. I find know? more new artists through Twitter than SoundCloud. Yeah. And that's without even listening. That's just kind of going through and looking at what people, who's, who's, who's mentioning who. And I say, okay, I've seen this name pop up a lot. Like I now, now I'm going to go to their SoundCloud. But if I go on SoundCloud and just try to find stuff, it's just... It's hard. Yeah, man. It's man. Just so much noise. Yeah, yeah. No, my feed is just, a, I can't use yeah. my feed at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a bummer, man. So what do we do? Start a new platform? I hope somebody does, man. I mean, I think, you know. I'm in. I'll I, invest. Dude, 100%. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously, like, the business has moved on to Spotify. Yeah. But Spotify isn't going to take care of especially DIY yeah, artists emerging. the same way mm -hmm. that SoundCloud did. And I love Spotify. I think it does a lot of amazing things, but it's just a different, it's intended. <laughs> for it's different purposes streaming only you right. know the, the soundcloud was interactive because that was my favorite thing about it was right. that people could comment on the waveform yeah and then you could comment back and then like you could when you were going through soundcloud you could tell who had like a banging track because it had all these like little images on the bottom right, you're like right. oh what's this and so i wanted i wanted that i, yeah, like, I want a track i want a track that has all those comments on it you yeah. know what i mean i want that something to strive for and yeah I, then i remember when they took that stuff out i was like 
oh, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, right. There was a lot of questionable activity. But I think that actually ties into kind of the, the way I wanted to start bringing this home was that we're in this sort of weird transitional phase in the dance music scene, especially in, in bass music and heavier stuff mm-hmm. where you know we've seen a couple subgenres rise and fall pretty quickly and a lot of flash in the pan guys have kind of come and gone in the last couple of years. And I think for us who are still here, the question is kind of what, what's next? And I don't know that anyone has really figured it out yet, but I, it's interesting. Like I was thinking about your collisions record that you put out, which is, you know, this really interesting mix of a, a bunch of different styles, trying out new ideas. You know, you can hear influences of the old stuff and maybe you can hear where things will go in the future as well. But it, that to me seemed like kind of a transitional record. And I feel like everyone is trying to find that sort of, you know, how they can transition to the next phase and, and what they're going to look like in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. I, do you feel that way? Do I feel... Just that, that a transition is happening yeah. or, or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. At personally well, as an artist that you're in transition. You know, I, there's definitely multiple answers here. One, I'll, I'll go with myself first, and that's yes, Big time. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I actually am more in love with dubstep and trap right now than I had, than I was the last three years leading up to now. Mm. And that's because I've kind of let go a bit of a lot of personal stuff that yeah. was holding me down. But, um, what were you getting disenchanted with? Yeah. Just the, it, it, a lot of it had to do with, with touring. Yeah. I was just traveling way too much and overexposed. The same songs every night, mm. every night, every DJ, every night, Doing same song, same tours. song, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and I, I just sounded way ungrateful and I, don't get me wrong, but you know, I still have to be inspired. Right. You know what I mean? Right, so right, it, right. it just wasn't inspiring. So I started getting bitter about it for a long time. Now I'm not so much. Now I'm, I'm into it. I'm just trying to have fun. But even that being said, I've got to move. I got to keep it moving here. You know, I like with, with drum and bass, I just kind of got burnt out with Moombatone kind of just got burnt out with trap. I'm kind of burnt out dub trap and dubstep. Sure, kind of yeah. out. So, you know, for me, we can talk about this more in a minute, but I'm I'm working on an album with UFO, mm. and it's all bass music, but it's not what you think. It's not dance floor bangers. Sure. It's very, it's heady, it's deep, very inspired by nature. Oh, <laughs> cool. Lots of yeah, it's 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 gonna be very cool. And then he and I are also doing another album for a new project. That's, oh man, it's all live. It's like Radiohead meets Aphex Twin meets you know, wow, Bro Safari and UFO, and yeah. it's 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 we have a singer. It's it's going to be a very lush thing. That is going to be later in 2018, probably. So yes, big yeah. big shift for me. You know, playing guitar again, making stuff I want to make. And when I DJ next year, I'll probably still do some sets where I play heavy sets, but also do sets with UFO where we perform our album. Mm. Hopefully. Okay. Now going back to the other part about <laughs> right. everybody else in the transition. Right. For years, I've I've been saying like, where's this going? Where's this going? I don't know. I don't know. And then people, oh, dubstep's dead. And then and then you look out. Like I just saw snails sold out to the Tacoma Dome I saw that too. for sixty five hundred kids. Don't tell me dubstep's dead. It's not no, dead. No, not at all. Furthermore, in fact, you know this whole rhythm thing that's going on. I can't even begin to get into the technical <laughs> definitions of any of the stuff going on within rhythm because. I don't understand it, but what I do understand is that it has that energy and that spunk that I keep referring to in this right. discussion. In that's the punk rock DIY yeah, thing. Yeah, it's weird. I see these young kids, like, and I'm sorry if, if any of them are listening. I don't mean to call you guys kids, but I see these younger guys that are doing this, and I think they don't give a shit about what I think, 
what you think. They just they don't care if their version of rhythm is disgraceful to some other <laughs> old dubstep guy. They don't care. And that is what's gonna make for a healthy form of artistic expression. That like so I'm not saying like rhythm is the future, but I'm saying whatever's going on right now in that scene, there's something like organic and and very cool and, and has a lot of, of, of energy behind it. So I see that happening. And then beyond that, you know, I think guys like Troy Boy. For example, he came along in the last couple of years and kind of flipped trap on its head yep. and said, no, 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 like this, we're going to add like an MPC, like live hip hop feel to this. We're going to get more of a groove behind the drums. Right. So I see it evolving into a cooler direction, actually, which is very reassuring. I see, you know, things getting cooler and, yeah. and more. Like, and that you still can reinvent it and yeah, still have those new ideas. Exactly, like less and less attached to what people think is cool and popular and more about what they think sounds cool to them and their friends. Yeah, and you were saying, you know, you were getting burnt out hearing all these same songs over and over. And I think that's really easy when you're in the touring mode and you're hearing everyone play, you know, these banger after banger after banger sets of kind yeah. of a lot of the same songs. Mentally, at least for me, then I start getting trapped in this zone of like, well, I can only make stuff that's going to fit in with these kind of yeah, sets. Yeah. And, and so then you just have to make a whole set of something that doesn't fit in with it. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what UFO and I are trying to do right now is make a set that will work for that crowd, but they don't, you got to give them something they don't know that they want. I think that's the wave, man. I've always loved with you and UFO, the, the sort of limitless creativity, really that you guys are making all of this sort of bizarre, interesting, awesome music, but then also putting it out there, right? And it's not just sort of something you're doing for fun with on the side. Yeah. You know, like I like that you're putting it on the same platform as everything else because it deserves to be there. Sure. But I think a lot it's of not artists- ex not ex expected. Right. A lot of artists, I think, wouldn't have the confidence to do that, you yeah. know, and, and just to say that, you know, this is also a part of me. Yeah. I didn't, I haven't thought of it like that. So that's cool. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I always, if I listen back to me and UFO's previous album, Animal, I, I can hear it there that it's definitely, it wasn't like the norm of what else, everything else was coming. And coincidentally, that's was one of the more successful periods of Bro Safari mm. was when I was just sticking to my guns and doing what I wanted to do. Right. And, you know, like I said, if you look at the last two or three years where I started kind of saying, oh, I don't like, all I could think is like, well, just do more shows. If you're not feeling it in the studio, just do more shows, which right. made it worse. <laughs> well, you know, we're here in Los Angeles. You're about to play a show. You're on a tour for your last record. I mean, where where are you at with kind of your your own place in the scene in, in 2017? I feel like I'm I, I I'm in a pretty comfortable place. I like the idea of, of people kind of being doing this podcast is a good example because I can kind of I can kind of speak more directly to fans or listeners yeah. or, and give my perspective on things. I don't get on social media much, you know. I don't tweet much anymore. I don't post much on Instagram. I don't I don't even open. I don't even know the password to my Facebook. <laughs> I have a, my management runs that because yeah. I just refuse to do it. Point is, I just I don't participate much in the social media thing, and if anything, that's something that I think holds me back. Mm. Maybe throws off my place in the scene a little bit because I'm not out there posting stuff constantly. But yeah. I just I don't know. I, well, I'm the same as you, man. I I'm not particularly active on that, and I think for both of us as well, we're not part of a squad or a crew or whatever that you know. Yeah. And I do wonder sometimes if that holds me back or slows things down. 
But at the same time, I mean, if we were forcing ourselves yeah. to do it every day, we wouldn't have fun. The problem is that I see everybody else just say everything that comes into their minds. Yeah. And that drives me crazy, man. Like, I hate it. I hate looking out and seeing people that I love dearly just and shaking my head and saying, like, <laughs> why would you say that? Right. Nobody, no, not nobody cares, but nobody needs to know that. And then you got the obvious, the hater culture of the internet, which is the th anything pops in your mind, you have to say it. Right. Where, where did that, when did that start? Nobody, nobody would ever say half the shit they say online in real life to another yeah, person. Yeah, 100%. So and that gets tiring. Yeah, there's I don't this, want to be a part of it. I don't blame you, man. I mean, there's this, you know, sort of argument culture, uh, uh, or maybe that's a bad phrase for it, but you know. Contrarians. Yeah, yeah, contrarian. That's a really good way to put it, is that if you see somebody say something and, the, and you just know an argument to contradict it, you might not even believe that yeah. argument or know the history of the background, but there's that impulse to just say, yeah. well, actually, there's also this other view, and you just... You know, you didn't yeah. have to say that. Social media is a problem. And I'm not, that, that transcends a music discussion. Right. It's a problem, man. And yeah. it's something that our society is going to have to take a long, hard look at. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. It's probably a whole other podcast. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I don't <laughs> even think anyone, you know, I think a hundred years from now, people can do studies about how it changed society, but we don't even know it's happening right now. Yeah. You know, like 100%. we won't see the ramifications for a long time, I think. Yeah, I mean, I just, I hope people take a look at it a little, a little more in depth. You know, take a look at themselves and their place in that and how it's contributing to yeah. bad things in this world and in our country, especially. Yeah. And, well, and hopefully, you know, I mean, and in the music scene. Right. You yeah. Know, like, it's just, just, let's keep, let's get things back to a level where we're just not all just being assholes to each other. <laughs> you know, like, we're here making music and you guys want to listen to it. Like, let's, let's do it. Let's yeah, do it together. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. That's a good sentiment, man. Well, you know, before uh, we were talking about getting together to do this podcast like a month ago when we were texting, you had mentioned there was some uh, you wanted to do it or there was something you wanted to vent about. I don't know if you even remember what that was, but if it was, I wanted to give you a space. Well, to... no, I mean, I, I don't have a speech okay. prepared or anything, yeah, yeah. anything particular. It's just, I, you know... I would be hypocritical to just come out and just start spouting out a bunch of shit when I was just saying, you don't have to say every thought that comes right, here. These are course. my beliefs and how I feel. It's, I just, things that we, we touched on, such as branding, mm -hmm. you know, I could have gone in much harder on that. But I mean, this is, all of this are, you know, what goes into making you yeah. the artist that you are, right? And I think, you know, we were talking earlier, what is our experience worth? I think the fact that you've been doing this as long as you have through different projects yeah. and at, to be at this, you know, successful level you're at, I think it gives you some some gravitas to, to sure. speak on it, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I Like I said, I don't have anything in particular yeah. to like toss out there to people, but I, I, I'm happy to that you've given me this opportunity to even speak at length <laughs> about anything. Oh man, I'm happy you're doing it, man. We've never known each other that well, but it's every time we cross paths, man, it's yeah. always a good conversation and sure. you know, I've and you know, if if the listeners take away anything, at least in my mind, it's hearing you talk about the DIY and the punk yeah. attitude to it, you know. Well, there's something to to that, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot to be taken away from that that mindset and of DIY and it's that nobody's going to do it for you. Right. You know what I mean? And I think that these days that's uh, that's become a thing where people expect things to be done for them in especially in this scene, you know. Uh oh, I've made one song like I need I've got an I got a sick logo, I got a sick this, I got a decent song, and now I need an agent, I need a manager, <laughs> right. I need an assistant. I you know, I need a like a hashtag, I need this and I need that and 
that's I guess what I'm trying to get at is that I hope that people can start to like peel that that artificial shit away and just like let's get back to the music because yeah. that's what the kids want. They want the music. They want the vibes. They don't give a shit about like how much money you're making at a show or this. They don't care. Yeah, you know, the some might, but you know whatever, that's. Yeah. That's it's an afterthought to them. One hundred percent. And to flip it to to a positive note too is that I think a lot of kids coming up, it's easy to think like, well, I have to, you know, I have to get the branding right. I have to get my squad together. I have to get this big cosign. I have to get this label interested. Whatever it is. And the reality is that no, you can still absolutely do it all on your own. You know. And it's it just takes that that strength of belief in yourself and what you're doing. You know, if you know you, what you're doing is good, if you know that this is what you want to do and it's what you're passionate about, you know, I that's I guess what I want to be the takeaway is that yeah. you can really do it on your own. I think Absolutely. you're you're a great example of that, man. Well, thanks, Still, man. Yeah, dude. Anything else you want to get out there before we? wrap this no, up no i mean not, i mean we could keep talking for hours but. yeah i could definitely keep going i you know i don't have anything no nah, i don't have any uh fair enough like man. last minute knowledge to just drop off the top of my head <laughs> i wish i did well yeah and you mentioned you know new music coming soon yeah and yeah i mean like i think if there's anything to kind of touch on a little more is the stuff with the ufo yeah yeah maybe we should just you know because i love him too and i just real quick i yeah. mean yeah you, he like i mentioned much earlier in the interview drum and bass when i started djing he was already established as a, a leading figure in, in north yeah, american people drum forget and bass. that the fact that we linked and have been working together this long is, is weird because it was an accidental friendship in a sense you know like was he another one where he was like the same person is, back then yeah ed is he is the most unique person i've ever known in my life yeah, I think hands that's down. Fair to say, hands down, and he's one of the best people I've ever known in my life, and I love him like a brother, like for real. He, he's like a brother to me. Yeah, and he and I work better together in the studio than anybody I've ever worked with. Period. We complement each other that well. Mm. So recently, I was you know thinking like, man, maybe I should take off you know next year completely just to figure out what I'm going to do. And then I was talking to Ed and, you know, we were bouncing around ideas and we started working on a couple of these ideas. And I was like, well, no, maybe like I should put my energy into a collaborative effort with UFO next year. While it may not take over all of Bro Safari, a lot of my attention as Bro Safari is going to go towards these collaborations with him. Right. Because I believe in them. And like I said, the idea of us potentially being able to craft a set that we could perform as Bro Safari and UFO where we play all original stuff or only, you know, mostly original yeah. stuff, a live set perhaps. I don't know. It just made me realize that's that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get away from what I've been doing in a sense and kind of spread my wings artistically. Right. And there's I have somebody to do it with that we we get it. We both get it. I'm really excited about where that's gonna go next year. How far into it are you into the process? Uh well, I mean, we've got about ten to twelve demos, probably used four or five of those demos. And so I think in December he's going to fly to Austin for a week and we'll do another writing session which we've done, you know, five or six times now at this point with over the years. Yeah. He'll just fly out for a week and we'll make three songs a day and then when he leaves we've just got <laughs> this mess of music but it it's always it always turns out into something even if it hasn't come out yet it's still there. Right. Like I said we have two albums. Yeah, that's so, so nice. So, you know, like the other album is a completely other thing, but that's the thing I'm most excited about personally is being able to play guitar have a singer 
have live drums, have, you yeah. know, and, and, produ- and produce the shit out of it. Do you, you know? see that as a different group? Yeah, or, yeah. that's going to be something new entirely. But mm. we're just taking it slow, get it right. And because when you first, when we first show it to, you know, our audiences, you only have that one chance for yeah. them to like it. So we yeah. want to make sure it's something that we really love and that we can get behind. And that way, if it does poorly, it doesn't take off. We still have something that we made that, you know, because I want to, you know, I have a kid. Like, I want my kid when, when, when he's older to listen to my catalog and say, wow, like, this is way cooler than everything else he did. Like, <laughs> dad, you, you killed it on this one. Right, right. You know, that's what I want to make. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, what does your kid think of what you do? How much does he understand or kind of get what he, you're uh, doing? He gets it on a basic level. Uh, he understands that I make music for money as yeah. a job. He understands that I have fans. He's been on stage at a show, so he's he, he gets okay. it. Uh, it was he, cool for me. I don't know if you remember at Lollapalooza a couple yeah. of years ago. I got to meet your kid and yeah. your wife and all that backstage. That was really awesome yeah. for me, man. Yeah, so that show was, I mean, that of all audiences for him to stand in front of, Lollapalooza was a crazy one. Yeah. So he gets it. Uh, every day, I take him to school every morning, and so every morning I'll play him what I was working on the day before. Oh, cool. You know what I mean? And I'll try to just... Just like a little and ritual. It's, it's the best feedback ever because it, there's no... Like I said earlier, he has no ego. He has no... He right. just says what he thinks. No filter either. Sometimes yeah. I'll put something on and he'll just start mimicking the sound and I'll say, good. Okay, cool. He's doing something. And sometimes he'll just sit there looking out the window and say, do you like that? He'll go, yeah. <laughs> I'll say, okay, cool. Like, I know that that didn't appeal to him. Right. So there's something that's going over the head, like the basics of this song sure. something missing that's sure. going over his head not hitting that primal spot exactly yeah. yeah so he gets it that's cool that's a great way you know that's a, a reference that not everyone has is the yeah, kid six-year-old <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's great man and just to go back to something you said a second ago that i think is a really important point too is the idea of that first impression yeah. that you get with your audience and that you know you really only have one shot to you know, be introduced to a new listener, right? Yeah. And to introduce a new project or a new sound. And that's something that I try to tell producers if they ever ask me that, you know, really take your time and be patient with it and craft it the way you want because there's such a rush now to get online and get numbers and get likes and reposts and all that. And that's really, you know, that's missing the point of if you didn't get online and didn't get any likes for a year but made a really good exactly. song exactly yeah you know that that to me that'll take you way farther yep you're you're 100% right yeah the, the way you put it is is perfect too because you know that's why i said you know maybe i should take a year off and because i said to myself well if i was going to take a year off then you know i would come back at the end of that year with like a lot of really great music to show for it and it would probably make it worth it. It would pay off in the end. Right. Granted, I don't think that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm not going to take a year off. Yeah. But I am going to take some time to myself to make sure that I'm happy with all the music that I plan on releasing towards oh, the yeah. middle of the year, you know? Yeah, 100%, man. Well, and that seems it's worth be- it. I mean, it's, you know, if if you're not happy with what you're doing, what what's the point? Right. <laughs> like, what are you, who are you trying to impress? Yeah. Some uh, random kid? Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, 100%. And I think it's just a matter of you got to tune out all the noise, right, and the external pressure. Even for you at this point in your career, I'm sure you have, you know, 
Henley or someone, uh, you know, if you said I want to take a year off, that wouldn't be what they want to hear. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Henley. <laughs> hey, Henley. <laughs> but no, you know, I think at all levels, there's going to be that pressure of like, oh no, you got to, you know, put it out now, do something now. Pressure but, is the the thing that kills, though. Yeah. You know, like that's. I, we were talking about social media, for example, right? I was, I've never had a problem with social media. Uh, and then I think it was sometime in the last year, year and a half, two years, I was told, hey, post more mm. on, on Instagram. And I was like, what? Who? No, now I'm not going to post at all. Don't tell me what to do, you know. And that, that's, right. that's 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 I know that's not a rational line yeah, of thinking, yeah, yeah. but that's 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 called being uh, a control freak, right? And you know, to be a control freak and have managers and agents and this and publicists and this and that, it's a t- it's a tough thing. You either have to give them full control, or you have to be very active in in shaping everything. And I think for a while I was like, all right, I'm just going to let people kind of run the show for me. And then I'm going to try to focus on what I'm doing. Yeah, it just made me more bitter about things, you know. Sure. When the only person to blame was me, right. I can take control of the project whenever I want because it's my project. It's not theirs, 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 theirs. This is my project. I made this myself. Yeah, and you're the one who had the vision for. That's it, what I'm right? saying. Yeah, like when I started this project, it was literally me, and like I got my myself off the ground and did it. So I can't, I, I spend a lot of time just like blaming little things here and there when it's like, that's, it's up to me. Yeah. You, know, you got to take control of your life sometimes. You got to take control of, of what's going on in your world. Yeah. If something's not right, fix it. Yeah, it's up to all of us, man. So. And, you know, you can't, it's easy to get sort of hear other voices in your head and take that as something you need to change. And there's nothing wrong with constructive criticism, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think it does. It does come down to the you as an artist, yeah. right? And, and what your original intentions were. Yep. You know, I usually try to wrap up just by asking a kind of random question. Sure. Uh, first thing that pops into your mind, don't think about it too hard. Just a time in your life that you can remember. It could be from your childhood or it could be from last week when music really affected you in a moment, gave you goosebumps or made you cry or made you think about something differently or opened up your world, a moment in I your mean, life. I mean, if you, you're asking me f- to not think about it, something's coming up yeah, by the top. Perfect. And it's a, actually a good anecdotal piece of evidence because it's it's a very mundane thing. The first thing that popped in my head was after a tour I did two years ago, I went on a snowboarding trip. I was so tired. I was so over everything. I just, I, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I didn't want anything to do with anything, dance, music, anything. I just wanted to unwind. Took the chairlift up to the top of the mountain, put on my music, and I just sat there for a minute. And there was nobody around anywhere. And I was just sitting there on the side of a, a cliff, you know, like yeah. looking out. I was listening to Radiohead, like my favorite Radiohead song. And I got the goosebumps and I just sat there. And I was like, okay, you know, it, music has this power to sedate you, yeah. to just completely silence the noise going on you know i i could have been i was depressed mad angry and it just made me forget about it for a minute so yeah no that's beautiful the power man. of music and, and I, that's what we're trying to get back to always right yeah yeah that's that's a really awesome way to wrap it up man thank you for sharing that yeah what song was it by the way um how to disappear completely good choice <laughs> yeah man that's my favorite one ever. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> Nick, man, thank you for doing hey, this. Thank dude. you, man. This was really That's awesome. Fun. Hell yeah. Peace, dude. Bye.
All right, that's the show. Shout out Bro Safari for sitting down with me for that conversation. One of my favorites, man. Don't forget to check out his remix that he did with Etc. Etc. for A Different Way by DJ Snake. Keep your eyes peeled for all his new material, new projects dropping in 2018. My name is Willie Joy. You can follow me on all social media at Willie Joy or at Back to Back Pod. Don't forget to email me your questions, comments, concerns, sexual hangups. Back to back at gmail.com is the address for all of that. Hope you guys are having a great start of your new year. I will see you next week. This has been Back to Back. Have a good one, guys. Peace.